Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You are very welcome, and the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you're here today for the first time and you've not been on this journey, then why not consider subscribing to this podcast wherever you're getting it from and make sure that you can join us as every day we work through the Bible together. And if you are here for the very first time, I'd just like to tell you that it doesn't matter where you're getting your podcast from, but there should be an episode notes page. And in there, you can not only find a transcript of everything I said, but lots of other copyright-free resources and ways to connect with my teaching and my ministry in the links contained within the episode notes. You are so very welcome. And let's pick up where we left off last time. I'll see you at the back end say bye-bye and just update you with a few things. Okay folks, let's crack on looking today at Matthew chapter 5 verses 22 to 26 and we're spending a couple of days looking at how Jesus in a sense redefines murder. Let's begin by just reminding ourselves of where we are and what he said in verse 22. Now this is Jesus speaking and he says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister without cause will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now in the last episode we talked about Jesus in a sense redefining the breaking of the commandment which was thou shalt not commit murder, widening it from the narrow concept of only concerning those people who commit the physical violent act that leads to the death of another person, but widening it to include our internal emotion state, particularly our attitude in relation to anger or hostility to other people. We then went on to look at the first of three types of anger that Jesus identifies for us and talks about. And the first one was this idea of being angry without cause. And I called that unreasonable anger. But now today, as we continue in this verse, it says something about Jesus saying, he who says to his brother or sister, Raka, has a problem. Now this Greek word translated raka actually literally means empty-headed. We would probably say something like numbskull or idiot today. And Jesus has suggested that we are in danger of judgment if we say things like that. Now, as a matter of fact, the word raka is almost untranslatable fully because it also describes the tone of voice more than anything else. So it's not only type of anger and saying something against someone else, it's the tone in which you show contempt towards the other person. So again, this is clearly another indication of an internal attitude. And it's when our anger spills out with a show of bitter contempt in what we say. If we get to a point where we despise someone or are angry with someone, that it becomes a sort of arrogant contempt, Jesus is saying, well, that's equivalent to murder. If it's a hate-filled outburst or an expression of contempt, it will fall foul of this commandment, of this law. 
And this little phrase, this use of this word raka, captures perfectly that contentious attitude. When I've personally experienced or seen this attitude in real life expressed by someone else, it can be an emotion so strong, it can, well, it can almost feel like it'll knock you over. I have on several occasions had someone that was so angry that they said things to me that they wished this other person was dead. And they said it with such contempt in their voice, it almost felt that they really meant it. And Jesus is saying it is this type of thinking, this type of behavior, this type of outburst that is synonymous with spiritual murder. Because you are in fact wishing that that other person would experience harm or potentially even death. So the first type of anger Jesus talked about was an unreasonable anger, where you had no cause to be angry. But this number two is a type of anger which has become a sort of a set depth of contempt where you really wish another person ill. With both types of these anger, Jesus has said, you are in fact guilty of a sort of spiritual murder. Now there's a third type of anger contained in this verse. Look again at it in verse 22. And he says, whoever says you fool should be in danger of hellfire. Now I'm sure your reaction when reading that for the first time is, well, that seems a bit harsh. Does that mean we can't call anybody a fool? Even doing that will risk hell for us. Well, let's just look at this and I'll see if I can help a bit here. Now the word fool used by Jesus here means to describe something or someone who is dull, stupid or foolish. It can also be used to describe a person's mental ability. But at that time it was also used as an attack on someone's moral integrity. So it appears that this word can cover both an intellectual fool and someone who lives an immoral foolish life. So the sense in which Jesus is using it here is when someone is calling someone a fool and is criticizing not only their mental ability, but in doing so, he's calling into question their moral character. You see, it is in fact legitimate to call someone's actions foolish if they're making foolish choices, foolish moral choices. And it's okay then to say that they are foolish to do those things. We would all qualify for that sometimes. Maybe we would all benefit even from being told our decisions are foolish and pointing them out to us sometimes. But Jesus is speaking here about someone putting someone down or calling them stupid with a condescending attitude or suggesting that someone's mental ability is a reflection on their moral state before God. So Jesus is really talking here about questioning someone's character and looking down on someone just because they have a lower level of intellect. Now here's the real tough part. It says, if you do that, you're in danger of hellfire. So first, I think I need to point out that the normal word for hell is not being used here. The word that's used here by Jesus is the Greek word kehenna. And Kehenna was a valley just outside the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, as you know, I'm sure was built on a hill. And there was a valley of Gehenna just outside the city walls. Now in the Old Testament, some really despicable things happened there, including the sacrifice of children. But eventually it came to be used as the city trash dump. 
and there was a perpetual fire that burned there and they would simply dump the trash over the city wall and it would burn in that place continually and it was called that place was called Gehenna so Jesus is using the name of that place as an illustration of hell but look at the verse carefully does he say that if you call someone a fool you're going to go to hell now what he says is that if you behave like that you're in danger of going to hell so i think jesus in a sense is using hyperbole here i think he's talking about someone someone who has a long settled hatred and contempt towards the other person that he's talking about and looking down on them but that aside, we've got to step back and see the big picture here. And the point is that he's doing all this stuff simply to widen the definition of what is covered under the commandment that we should not commit murder. And these various types of anger, whether expressed or unexpressed, whether it's unreasonable anger, whether it's contempt, whether it's verbal abuse, they are all falling foul of this commandment and they're all going to be judged by God. So Jesus says the commandment is not only wanting to deal with the overt act of murder. It's about the internal attitude of anger or hostility that when given free reign will potentially give birth to these types of violent actions that can even lead to murder. Now many years ago, over 30 years ago, for a short term, I worked as security, what we call in the UK a bouncer, in a nightclub. And on many occasions I saw fights breaking out and people throwing punches at each other. And on, on many occasions those fights led to nothing. But on other occasions people could get injured. And then you hear of situations where someone throws a punch and someone falls down and hits their heads and they die. But is there any different in the intention or those two types of fight, yet still one can lead to nothing and the other can lead to the death of another individual. So what Jesus is saying here, it's not just the action, because there's always a certain degree of randomness to the consequences of any action that we carry out in a moment of anger. Jesus is addressing the whole issue here, the whole potential of anger and where it can lead. And the point is, Real adherence to this law meant about being in a place where you would never wish to commit harm or murder to another person in the first place. All of us have a reservoir of hostility, even wrath, inside of us. Maybe you've wished your boss was dead, or you've got angry, so angry with someone who's stolen your parking place that you would wanted to get out of the car and remonstrate with them. Have you ever thought, or has it ever occurred to you, I wish someone was dead? Well, there's a conclusion to all this, and it offers us help if we're ever troubled with these thoughts. Help us nip them in the belt. So, if you remember, Jesus starts off by talking about the commandment, and he spent most of the time clarifying for us the width and breadth of this commandment. But eventually here, he comes to a conclusion and tries to offer us a solution, some help. Look first at verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and then you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift there in front of the altar and first go and reconcile to them. Then come and offer your gift. So Jesus concludes by first of all making two suggestions. 
first to be reconciled with someone rather than to be angry with them. And the way he communicates is that he uses the illustration of bringing a gift to the altar and also bringing those feelings to the altar and offering them as a sacrifice, meaning you ask for forgiveness and you leave them there. But the other point he's making is if you have the insight or you've expressed those anger and that you know in your heart that someone out there holds that against you, that still stands against you. Therefore, you should actually leave your gift at the altar and go and seek out that person and attempt to be reconciled with that person first. In other words, being reconciled with another person takes precedent over bringing a gift at the altar. So being reconciled again, it's pointing to the internal attitude, being reconciled is more important than any external act of religious repentance. God wants you to stop. Do you know what? God wants you to stop even sometimes in the middle of a worship service and go and be reconciled with a brother or sister. And that's certainly something that we are called to consider when we come before the communion table to the Lord's Supper. We are called to do that and settle things before we take the elements, the bread and the wine. And then finally, verse 25, he says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary today. Who is the one who is taking you to court? Do it while you're still together, on the way even, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into the prison. Truly, I tell you, you will then not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus has shifted gears here. He's now talking about a situation and an adversary, someone that is known to you, someone to whom you owe a debt. The illustration used is one of money. And in this case, it says, while you have time, while you're with him, or even while you're on the way to court to settle it, this is a reference to the fact that there was something like a debtor's court in first century Palestine. And if you owed someone money and you hadn't paid them they would take you to the local court and at that time in a small town if you ended up walking to court it's very likely at some point you would meet on the way to court or even on the steps so that's the backdrop now that not only gives us a lovely intimate little picture of early church life in history but don't miss the point it's saying that we should try and agree with the adversary the person that we are in debt to And in this case, the metaphor is the debt of hostility or sin that's held between us. He says, quickly deal with it. Deal with it before it escalates. And we have the opportunity to do it right up to the very last moment, even just before we get into the court, on the very steps of the courtroom itself. So the first suggestion was to be reconciled. And the second point is all about an emphasis to not linger to get it done and get it done quickly. I think this is one of the most practical suggestions that God could have given us concerning the subject of anger. And that was the fact that we should never let the sun go down on our wrath, that we should deal with these things, nip them in the bud. When it's a small weed, don't let it grow into a huge plant. Kill it when it's small. As someone says, if a cub comes into your house, don't let it grow into a lion. 
Why? Because we've got to deal with these things quickly because they will only ever get worse and the consequences for us will be worse. And the second point of this illustration, I think, is, is it's saying if we don't deal with it while you're on the way with the anniversary, the very real risk is that then you will be handed over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the jailer who will put you in prison and then you'll be stuck in that place until that every last penny was paid. In other words, until every last portion of that anger, hostility or debt of sin that you owe the other person is repented of and paid for. So don't let the sun go down in your anger. I know people who have not only let the sun go down on their anger and resentment, but they have let the calendar page turn month by month, year by year, on things of an anger that they haven't settled. I've talked to people who have let decades go down in their anger. One of the most entrenched cases of anger I dealt with was a lady in her late 80s who was still angry about something that happened in the church between her and another lady and her children and the other lady's children. So I beg you for your sake to settle all issues of anger because anger is like an acid that eats the container that holds it. And if you don't pour the acid out quickly, it will eat your very heart and soul. Okay, I need to sum this all up. And here we have Jesus talking about the commandment, thou shalt not commit murder. But Jesus here is interpreting it much more widely than just the physical act of bringing an end to someone's life. The point Jesus is making is, is that since God will judge the state of our hearts and its consequences, we ought to be reconciled with anybody that we're we hold anger or resentment against and we should do it as quickly as possible because there will be more serious consequences awaiting us if we don't and don't do what most people try and do when they're angry they try and justify their anger I don't think I've ever met anybody who said I'm angry without a cause everybody I've ever talked to thinks they have good reason to be angry and you see that's the problem that's the core of the problem here and Jesus is saying that even righteous anger must be dealt with because if you don't deal with it and respond to it in the right way, it can fester and turn into something toxic. The correct response to righteous anger, the correct response to anger that wells up in us in relation to injustice or prejudice should in fact be dealt with by action, by bringing God's love and God's justice against those things that make you angry. Now Paula and I have a rule in our marriage. We try not to go to sleep angry. We're still following that rule as best we can after 30 years. You know what? I can't think of a better way to destroy a marriage or a relationship is to go to sleep angry. Anger, unresolved, will destroy a marriage, it will destroy a friendship, and in fact, it can split a church. One day, many years ago, one of my children, who was six years old at the time, which one will remain nameless, but they were really having a bad day. They woke up grumpy. They complained about the clothes they wanted to wear because we were going out for the day. They griped about the breakfast they gave them. In fact, they refused to eat it. And they annoyed their sibling to the point of frustration. 
they were nothing but trouble that whole morning and they were angry the whole day and it was spoiling our day out. We reached a point where we stopped for lunch and Paula asked, what's wrong with you today? You've been angry all day and you've been nothing but heartache all day. For a moment, there was silence and then the tears began to fill their eyes and they said, I'm sorry. And they told us that they were angry with a friend who had just frozen them out. We were then able to tell her something really sad that had happened to her friend and that she was probably just unhappy and angry and at that moment was lashing out at those around her. Why don't you ring her, we said, and when we get back, you can ask her to come round and play tomorrow. Well, she did that and you wouldn't believe it. Two minutes later, all in the world was right. The anger had gone, that friendship had been reconciled and everyone, including our family, was happy and everything seemed as it should have been because the anger had been dealt with. Okay, my friends, that's it for today. I hope you found that helpful. And if you've had yourself to deal with any of these issues, well, I hope you find some uh, scriptural pointers and from the words of Jesus himself to help you deal with the issue of anger. As I said at the beginning, every podcast has a transcript available copyright free in the public domain for you to use in whatever way you want and it's found within the episode notes of that podcast. And there's also links there to other ways that you can connect to my ministry and my teachings. There are several other discipleship type courses that I've put there on places like Patreon, LinkedIn, YouTube and other places. So have a look there if you've got a moment and see about the ways that you can connect and stay connected with my ministry. But that's it for today. I do hope you're enjoying the decision that you've made to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of your daily life. I know I'm benefiting from wonderfully and I'm also being encouraged by the thousands, the many thousands of people who've made that commitment to come along on this journey with me. So with that said, I'll say bye-bye for today and I do hope I'll see you back here again tomorrow or very, very soon for the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.